Welcome to the Ninja Tune Podcast with myself, DK. And our special guest for this edition is Lee Bannon. We'll be talking to him about his album, Pattern of Excel, growing up in Sacramento and those first steps into production, the producers that he looks up to, and of course, some of the tracks that have influenced him over the years. After that, we'll have a look through some of the new music coming out on the Ninja Tune family of labels, with tracks from The Invisible, Bruce Maneuver, Romare, Helena Half, and Wiley, produced by Zombie. So stay tuned for that. Here we are once again down at Ninja Tune headquarters and for this podcast we are joined by Lee Bannon. Welcome along. How you doing? Your new album Pattern of Excel is out now and it's been a year and a half since your previous album uh, Alternate Endings. Did you get straight into working on this album as soon as you finished or, uh, or do you kind of run projects side by side? Some of the rough uh, versions of the original version of Patterns of Excel I was working on like immediately after I finished completing uh, alternate endings, which wasn't fully formed itself in itself either, you know. A lot of them were just like kind of rough audio sketches, you know, um, that kind of fleshed out later. But I think uh, over the year, uh, what you're hearing now is basically like pretty much 80% new compositions. Only like 20% are from that period of time, so. And you taken a, a pretty much beatless direction with this one you, you've obviously had your hip-hop productions in the past um, jungle influences in uh, your last record and now more of a an ambient direction what was what was the inspiration for this album I was just kind of going with what I was feeling I was uh, kind of beat out like so many drums when I, I, I wanted to make something that reflected what I listened to at home or you know like the, the zone that I'm in when I'm at home listening to music which is which is more of a peaceful kind of like I was listening to more like a, a Brian Eno Apollo or like a the KLF or whatever something like that like more like experimental music played really low or ambient or drum music played really low Coil is another one um, but yeah that was pretty much my objective is it important for you to keep moving on musically from previous work or is it just a natural progression always for you? I'll wake up and then I'll just fumble through work that I already have and kind of like take it forward or leave it stuck there. And the artificial stasis is kind of about that. Some stuff just remains that for, you know, maybe I never touch it. You know, maybe I lose the drive and it's just like that forever. And that was a song like that, that from that time period that kind of remained the same that I said like, okay, 
I returned to it and I liked it. At the time, it was just kind of like a throwaway, but it ended up, ended up becoming like one of my favorite tracks a year later, you know. You know, the fact that obviously you, you, there's different genres you're kind of going through, do you, do you feel that there is a, a common theme running throughout all of your productions? Uh, I feel like there is as I progress. Um, if I look at the two albums, um, I definitely think like a drone or like an ambient or a more atmospheric vibe is definitely apparent, like it's definitely on both albums. Um, um, I don't think it's such a huge switch to, um, to not have the drums in my head uh, because if you take away the drums from alternate endings, maybe I'll do this, take away the drums from alternate endings, you literally have just a kind of drone, kind of like atmospheric like space. It wasn't like a harsh transition to me, but then again, I made the record over a time period of a year, so I was, you know, I saw the transition and what I was listening to. Started listening to more stuff that would have been on, you know, uh, around the, the neighborhood where I grew up or like that my neighbors would play or I'd hear, um, you know, implementing more guitar and stuff like that, which is an element that I like that's from around where I'm from, like a Chris Isaac from like Lodi or Sacramento or like uh, implementing that kind of, uh, I guess like surfy kind of poolside kind of like post-rock um, vibe, you know. So I definitely wanted to that the new project to reflect that which required me uh, actually using the guitar I've had for the last three years and like, you know, for the last year and a half kind of like picking up stuff, you know? And if you have like infinite time, like you don't have to be anywhere or you don't have to, know, you know, you can make the guitar do some interesting things, whether you're trained or not trained. So that's pretty much the result of a lot of those uh, or like four or five of the tracks on the record.
So how long did this album take and you know, was there a different process this time around from the previous work? Or? What's funny is like, uh, I was talking about this with my friend James, uh, or he goes by the range, I don't know. Um, and 90% of the process or 90% of the time is spent kind of like making adjustments to your actual palette, like your actual, like where you're working, you know, like getting the right presets, getting the right uh, template or like the right drums you're gonna use. And then the result, the result of that is like, your album, the sound of your album, which you probably make within the last, the last like three months, you finish it in the last three months after tweaking your, you know, the compressor and making everything where you want it to be, you know. So all the work's kind of done before. Yeah, you make you make all these tracks and keep making tracks, but then you're like, I like the way this the, this came out on this, and you keep carrying it over and over and over. Certain certain parts you save, certain um, audio presets you save and take it over. So that was kind of the process for this and the process for. Um, alternate endings. Only difference with Patterns of Excel is more of a process. It was more uh, elements. Like I was using like the mini or the micro brute, where it's like true analog, where I had to slide this little piece of paper over to remember the settings, the LFO, and all that stuff. So, but when I came with the one I like, I saved it, and all that ended up becoming like a, a, a thing. So when I turn on my computer or certain instruments or certain pedal arrangements, you can hear like it'll sound like Disney Girls or it'll sound like shallowness is the root of all evil and things like that like uh it'll have that same kind of vibe it'll sound like you're listening to the, the album you know so what what gear are you uh using because you, you have a some old stuff and new stuff i believe is that right yeah i kind of switch it up each time like uh i got i actually got kind of like rid i traded in some of the stuff that i um used for alternate endings for like a echoplex like tape delay and some other stuff but um yeah, I was using a, um, a spring reverb. I won't say what kind of spring we're keep, keep it protected, but it's a really good one. And then I had a, cu a custom uh, built kind of rack, um, modular rack built for that really kind of gave the guitar that kind of warpy twang, basically. Um, and uh, a reverb that I, a really good reverb unit that I use for, or a, actually I think it's like a combination of a delay reverb unit that I use for the track, the last track, Towels. Um, that kind of gave it like a swollen sound or whatever. Um, but yeah, you hear that pretty much on every track of the album, especially tracks like uh, the piano track, um, Dawn the Sky for Pigs, it uses that a lot.
Where did the image on the front of the, the woman swimming in the pool come from? I seen that, uh, I believe, on a juxtapose. Not the image, but the painter. I came, I became aware of her, and I looked at her stuff online, and I saw that painting. I was like, oh, I have to use this. And uh, I knew at, at first um, we were talking to her gallery, but then I reached out like artist to artist kind of thing and told her what my vision was. And, and um, Recently, she, as it's been coming out, she's been, you know, seeing it up and reposting on Twitter and things like that. So she's excited as well. She actually brought up um, the, uh, the idea of me playing, uh, like, kind of scoring one of her shows, like uh, upcoming things or whatever. So, yeah, um, she helped me out. So I wouldn't mind doing something like that. But it, I think the artwork uh, matched what I was trying to do uh, sonically, like uh, the aquatic feel. Now, I'd like to know a bit about how you kind of first got into music. What um, You grew up in Sacramento, you mentioned. Uh, what ignited that spark when you were young to sort of pursue this dream? Well, the earliest I can remember, like as far as like creating it or wanting to create it, was uh, I moved from like the city, like the inner city to like the kind of the suburbs. And uh, I met my, uh, my friend Anthony there in like seventh grade. And he's the one that actually I got discovered Ninja Tune. I discovered so many different things to where I was. It was like all overwhelming at like once. Like a, I think it was like a the um, the blockhead uh, Uncle Tony's coloring book. I think it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, then I got into like Amon Tobin really heavy, and I just grew up with it. And then like Warp, all the different you know, um, you know that is it, it opened the door to a lot of other like um, stuff that I at the, before that I was just into like the kind of surface level hip-hop you know but then got into like loop pack like uh, a lot of stone throw stuff a lot of um you know things like that digging for records uh dj shadow um and then eventually i think around like a year like two years later from that initial discovery point i, I bought like a, a corgi like tribe and started like actually fiddling around with it or whatever so that was pretty that's pretty much the uh the beginning of that the, um, the Deltron 3030 for sure with Dan the Automator and Dell, uh, I think it's definitely on that, around that time period. Um, it's a really good album. Uh, the track that I, that I had in mind was the 3030 track, which actually has um, a really long kind of ambient like uh, build up in the beginning before the drums, the, the kind of chopped up break comes in and he starts rapping. But um, yeah, his cadence and that, aspect of it it's like this I, th I look at that as a perfect uh hip-hop song yo it's 3030 i want y'all to meet deltron zero hero not no small feet it's all heat in this day and age i'll rage your grave anything it takes to save the day neuromancer perfect blend of technology and magic use my rapping so you all can see the hazards plus entertainment where many are brainless we cultivated a lost art of study and i brought a buddy automate a harder slay a fascinating combination cyber warlords are activating abominations Harmination with hatred, we ain't 
with that. We high tech archaeologists searching for knickknacks, composing musical stem packs that impacts the soul. Crack the mold of what you think you rapping for. I used to be a mag soldier, but I didn't respect orders. I had to step forward, tell them this ain't for us. Living in a post-apocalyptic world, morbid and horrid. The secrets of the past, they hoard it. Now we just bored it on our futuristic spacecraft. No mistakes, black. It's our music we must take back. So what was the scene like in Sacramento for music? Was it a healthy cross-section or one dominant genre in the clubs? I had friends that were into all of it, but I mean, there was one specific specific uh, person that kind of got me into more like drum and bass and like, um, you know, things like that. Uh, his name was DJ Horace and he's like a very like uh, kind of important figure I feel like that was putting on events that brought us all together in this little you know realm including like death grips or trash talk or like uh, um, like Ch even all the way to Chelsea Wolf like every you know different people um, even like Tycho from Sacramento as well like um, I'd say DJ Horse is that kind of figure that we all kind of had a common link to with with the whole drum and bass thing when did it kind of cross over to the states was that was it at that period or i don't think over? it was i think it had been over there because i mean i i was really young and i remember you know like going to like chico and seeing like you know like white guys with dreads playing like you know ska and like drum and bass and so it been it had been there you know and i mean introducing has those elements in there too so it's like a, a, our own kind of twist on it i think and you had like crystal methods and things like that they were coming out like when i was like really young but i think it's just been there in its own way but uh yeah it was a spot called townhouse um is the venue but yeah they would um i don't know this is like 2009 or 10 maybe but they would have like really like uh some good like drum and bass nights and like Skrillex would play there for like the first time, like before, like Skrillex, Skrillex, you know, um, like Africa High Tech and like different people. But, um, and this also thrown by uh, a DJ, DJ Horace, you know, and uh, the night was called Grimy actually. Uh, and this is, but this is in like 2008, 2009. And he would take this old movie poster and like convert it into the flyer each week. So, um, yeah, that's why I got exposed to a, the, you know, the, uh, to it on a deeper level, like Dillinger and things like that, like beyond like the, the, the uh, entry level, drum and bass guys, I guess.
Did the scenes in sort of San Francisco or even LA, I mean, did that have an effect on you? What was going on there? Was it, was it very much Well, the scene own? that was going on there, like I, we definitely made trips and we definitely knew, we, we were definitely aware of the scene that was going on there as opposed to what's going on in Sacramento. It's kind of shared the same thing. Like, you know, like they had, they have Dell and all that. It's like all kind of in that, you know, kind of same bubble. But, uh, but I think around that time they had like hyphy uh, hip hop movement, and, you know, with like Mac Dre and, and things like that going on. And uh, yeah, that didn't really, those didn't really cross at all. But they both existed at the same time. One was more of a, a niche thing. One was more on a um, another another scale, I guess. But both movements in itself. The one thing I'll say about the hyphy, the, that more Bay Area movement, was it. It was more like organic. It came from there, like it spawned from there, you know, originally, you know. I think what was going on with at least me and a lot of people I was making music with or who were making music similar to me, they're, they're influenced by a lot of the acts here, you know. Did, did the hyphy thing, re you know, get really get big anywhere Outside of I don't know. I mean, to be honest, if I hadn't participated in that, like I worked with the the Jacka, which is a big a big artist over there, like, um, and if I wouldn't have got on his first tape, um, in like high school, like, I don't know, because he added a lot of credibility to my name very very early, to where people like you know like this DJ Horrors or whoever, like, or even Dell, like, were like he gave me a sense of, you know, like oh, you know, and the track, I mean. I wasn't that crazy about it. It was more like the idea of the track, you know. But um, yeah, he uh, that me being on that record definitely um, set things off. On, I mean, in California, you know, and led to me meeting like Alchemist and you know the other the people that I would grow from in the future, you know, to get to the stage where I started working with Joey, basically. So. You obviously yeah, just mentioned there that obviously did produce for a lot of others like Joey Badass and um, you're obviously concentrating on your own music now. Uh, do you still produce for others? I do produce for others. I've been working on someone's, I don't want to put like all the information out, but like to, I've been working on someone's album that is hip hop and been doing production, but I just have a lot, a lot more, I guess, like personal rules to doing that because it has it's it's gotten to the point where everyone's emailing this emailing that emailing tracks back and by the time you get the track like it's you know it doesn't sound like what i made or what i contribute it's just like totally you know it doesn't have any connection to me or whatever 
has the process changed since you've had more of your own music coming out that you can be? Well, it more? actually changed with the Joey, with the Joey situation, because me and Joey worked very closely. Like we were in the same space, like for days, you know, just actually crafting this stuff in person, you know, person to person. Like, oh, maybe you should try this, and making it be something that's has like more of a soul than something than me being in a random place and him in a random place and emailing. You know, like I think uh, I'm not. I mean, that works for some people, but for what we were doing or creating at the time, like that was the perfect uh, situation. And if I'm gonna work on like a hip hop record or any like pro producer record, I wanna be able to like look at the person and like execute, you know, something properly. So I'm working on something uh, now. Um, I've been working with a bunch of different people, not all hip hop. Uh, some of them are like really big surprises and I can't wait till they like actually drop, but um, yeah, production, I'm going to actually focus on a lot more coming up in the future, but, like, it has to be the right, um, the right, uh, act, um, and make sense, you know, um, it, and I'm not always going to be credited like I, like, like I was in hip-hop, like, I don't want to be credited like that, I don't want to be produced by, or this track produced by, you know, I want it to be just the track name, like, if, um, if an Elton John track comes out, it's not produced by uh, DJ Mustard. It's just the, it's just the name of the track. You know what I mean? If you really want to find out what it's produced by, you look at the back of the thing or go Wikipedia or something like that. So a lot of pr producing like that is going to take place. You know? You're in New York now. So has has that changed anything? Has that oh changed? yeah, that definitely changed. I mean, I moved to New York right when I started uh, really like putting alternate endings together, and that definitely affected the big buildings. It kind of made it more like more of a, a city like an urban thing not that sacramento wasn't that it's just different when the building it's so like uh just endless buildings like you can't like as far as you can see basically it almost looks fake like they're pa like a painting like when they put that wall up and it makes it with the uh, vanishing point it's like that you know um let's pause then for another track from your list that you brought in um yeah there's a, actually a wu-tang uh track on here called called dog shit actually and uh, what is it about that track um, the f basically the way that Old Dirty Bastard is f like flowing on it and uh, his cadence like and the bars like the actual things he's saying like I mean I'm not even gonna go go into it you'll hear it but it's wild it's like it's untamed like there's no one that's gonna just write these things you can't it, like these things can't be written I don't think they have to be recorded at a certain state and I think he was a bit in that state whether it's drunk or high he, he was in some type of state to say these things and um yeah the arrangement the way somebody might come in just for like two bars and then he goes back to doing what he's uh what he was doing before you know and the beat skit at the end it's really cool she blowing like calm breeze tall brown skin her weave like palm trees i went coconuts dip my duck in between your donut don't want it if it ain't no slut bitch pharmacist touch ground like fly on soup don't invite me i tear the fuck down white boys cut my toupee they rest up on sweet play. I scope MC Slay. Ain't nothing to bust ass. Bullet him, get him fast. Bitch, I don't break out. Blast to the next rash. The dog piss on MCs like trees. Got meals, but still grill that old good welfare cheese. Tonight. It's alright, you still gon' get fucked tonight. Oh, 
stinking assholes. You're the type of bitch don't appreciate shit. Never had shit, so you won't be shit. That pussy there couldn't satisfy a hair on my body. Keep me like a lot and slide me down. And doodle brown. <laughs> what producers do you look up to? I like a lot of the older producers, I guess, like uh, like a Phil Spector, like those type of epic producers, or like a Brian Wilson, or like a. I didn't want to say Brian Wilson because he has a movie out and it just sounds corny, but yeah, he's one of them, I guess. Um, I really like Kurt Vile. He's a good, he's a producer. I don't know. He's produced where he produces his own records and they sound amazing. But yeah, really, I I, st- I kind of got de- demystified like a, a lot of the producers that I used to listen to or be like blown away by because it's like I know the tr- the tricks now. I think I've reached a certain point to where I can. You know, I know what they're doing. I can recognize what they're doing or whatever. So it just doesn't. I'm not so influenced or like. Uh, or maybe I, I, I'm influenced, but I'm not so like. Oh, like that's blowing my mind. Anymore. Yeah, impressed anymore. Let's have another track on your list that you uh, brought in today. I guess there's some newer producers that I, I'm, I look up to now, like um, and like. Uh, Dean Blunt is definitely one of those um, people. Like his newer, his newer album, um, uh, I think it's called uh, Black Metal. You know, the, it, the Rough Trade release. Yeah, the song is uh, Molly Aquafina. It's just, it kind of reminds me of REM, but then he's flowing about things like the subject matter is like now, like you know, but it sounds like. Uh, what's the guy it's named from R.E.M. Michael uh, Stipes or something like that it sounds like but imagine if Michael Stipes was singing about like I guess like um, things that are relevant today like you know certain cars or certain like drugs or whatever so it's just a really good album that has a um, kind of older feel but it's just super relevant now you know it's not like somebody making a rock album about love it's like you know, he's not that that's not relevant. I'm just saying it's been done before. He's doing it in a different way. Riding through these streets, I'm strapped up with my Nina. So I'm worried about nothing. I don't worry about nothing. I'm worried about nothing. I'm worried about nothing Lady, don't go I think it's time you should know It's not the way things should go
Riding through these streets Strapped up with my Nina So I'm worried about nothing I don't worry about nothing I'm worried about nothing with a member from Anthrax as well. How, yeah, how, yeah, how yeah, did yeah, that yeah. come about? I was, talking, I was actually talking to him about that earlier. Um, Red Bull wanted to do this series where we they kind of put the, uh, us together. And at the time, I was like, my shows, I was playing a lot of like a really heavy like breakcore stuff that kind of um, results in like moshing at the shows. Or it just felt like a real kind of metal or punk experience, I feel like, at a certain point. Um, and uh, yeah, one of the producers wanted to, wanted to have us go in together, and we went to uh, Electric Ladyland, which is like a classic studio in like New York. And yeah, we we just had a, a dialogue, like a conversation with each other. Like he respected what I do, I respect what he did, and then we kind of um, I didn't want to make it kind of a, like a corny, uh, you know, like acrylics in the doors. I, mean, I don't know if you ever seen that, but we kind of like it, it had to be authentic. If we were gonna put it out, and it turned out pretty authentic. I actually have the track. We never dropped it. Maybe one day it'll come out. Like the the track we worked on there. We worked on another one as well. But um, yeah, he, what he was doing with the drums, you know, like I was just chopping that up, and uh, it was fun, you know. Who is at the top of your wish list to work with? I've had this. Uh, this is gonna sound crazy, but I I almost don't want to say it because it's like jinking it. Or, or jinxing it but on a on a grand scale like uh, on the radio or, or on podcast you know but um oh, maybe i should not even say it because it could happen it, it's it's a, this my dream album to produce but um it'd definitely be and it'd be like something that's done under like my actual name like i'd do it like i'd take my time and do it you know to a certain level but it would probably definitely be uh chris isaac which is crazy but if you listen to like disney girls or a track like you know like uh you know i think he's he's at a point where he uh i don't know if you would call him iconic or what you would call him but he's like he's definitely right here and if he does something in the right way or the on the right label or the right producer it's then it's a rap he's iconic he's like this guy who put in all this work before i mean wicked games like you should probably just play that's not on my five but you should probably just play that like some amazing tracks bad bad things like he could he's okay he is an icon i guess but i think uh he could come out right now and just like you know kill it Desire will make foolish people 
use the internet to obviously self-release your own music uh, and it's obviously a, a very powerful tool but for you what are the positives and, and negatives considering how fast everything moves yeah the negatives are that it moves fast it's like each track has to really mean something if you're going to drop it and i think or it has a it has to have a purpose and i've just kind of realized that recently as i um i just kind of gotten management uh, um again i kind of was self-managing for like a almost a year and I uh, got in management again and we kind of really talked about that stuff and this all goes back to kind of like making it a, more of a, a thing like taking care of like the what this actually is and, and, turn, and you know especially now that it's getting to a state where there's like people getting a, a tattooed or like things you know stickers or whatever or using the, a picture on that it's like you want to you got to protect the what that the idea of that is whatever that is right now you know and um, so I think uh, in the future it's gonna be if I post something it, it has to have a meaning you know um, the same thing goes for my Instagrams or my tweets like uh, so it's less of those but when I do do it it's for a reason or it means something you know I, I know I know you, you do like AFS twin as well and, and what did you feel about with all the stuff that suddenly came out on SoundCloud interviews and pitch him and music uh, uh, they kind of just I think I don't know. I don't know if they just discovered SoundCloud, but I think they got really happy and started uploading stuff. I don't know. That's what it appeared to be to me. But none of those tracks really had it seemed to have the impact because they both have like way more followers than me on their SoundClouds. But those tracks have like 
you know 500 listens it's because it's so much to listen to you're like i'm never gonna make my way through that but um i think that's uh, that's what i think i think they were just really excited to, they're like oh this is a, i could just put it up here and they just did it i don't know do you feel more drawn to electronic music over here more than the u.s or the word like electronic music in my head uh is like i start thinking of like uh David Guetta and then or, or like or like uh, you know I look like a recent artist that just came out uh, Container I don't know if you've heard that it's like really good and technically that's electronic music but I don't even it doesn't even that saying calling it that never even enters my mind it's just it's just really good and really like uh, you know technical music it's not like uh, you know um, I don't look. I don't. I would never be like, oh, this is new electronic artist name, blah blah. blah. But I guess if I had to, he would fit under that. Um, you should listen to that if you if you've never heard him. He's really good. He's like a. I don't know who released it, but yeah, he's called Container. Um, but yeah, the, I I I mean, so I'm more drawn to music like that, I guess. Um, but not like uh, I guess electronic music. I guess I don't know. I think we should have another one from your list, actually. My electronic artist. Let's do the. Uh, speaking of electronic artists, uh, uh, Marilyn Manson in the very beginning was using all like kind of drum machines, and nobody's calling him like electronic music. You know, it's kind of very well like it's, or I mean, it's uh, very much like industrial rock music. You know, and um, but on Minute of Decay, he's using a drum pad, a drum machine, maybe like a TR or something, and he's just singing over it with some guitar, but it's so full and so rich that it becomes like just rock or whatever he wanted it to be. So like I, when I was bringing up Container and all these people, or even a, like a group like Coil, like they didn't, they're not really like, I just look at them as like more, uh, I guess more rock than, than, than electronic music. I think electronic music has reached a point, I mean, in the States or in America that it's like, when you say that, you kind of start thinking like, get some corny vibes going on, you know. But um, yeah, "Minute of Decay" by Marilyn Manson's like really good. It's rough. Um, it's like a kind of drone thing going on with his voice uh, effect, but I think it's from his uh, like one of his earlier demos that they ended up Trent Reznor ended up reproducing. But the demo version, the one I'm talking about, that you can just type into YouTube and put Marilyn Manson demo version, "Minute of Decay." It has like it's just a drum machine that he's making you know no makeup just stripped down and it's just making a beat and then singing over it it's really good
you've, you've been touring recently, just been to Italy and uh, Milan and uh, Berlin in Germany. How, do you find it different around the world, reactions or...? Um, I, yeah, I mean, I've been, I've been kind of like, I was just blind. I didn't know how any of it was going to turn out, turn out. So, um, you know, like who's coming out to these shows out here? Like I know, I think I've reached a point in the States where I could, uh, perform and know that who's coming out and how many or whatever, or what their reactions are going to be at certain places. Just, but now coming to here, um, I, I didn't know what to expect, but it's kind of, it's pretty much the same. Um, and I'm just like amazed that there are people showing up to, you know, my type of show because it, it, it's like very, it is very, I guess, considered weird because it's not like very, um, I guess, mainstream or whatever. Um, but uh, yeah, it's been good so far. People have been coming out and excited to hear tunes that aren't, um, they aren't uh, like, you know, very like they weren't. They're not catchy, basically. Well, I'm not doing a DJ set at all. Like I'm playing, I'm performing. You know, like with the tools, and then there's no like really like blending going on or like. And I think um, I've noticed that the audience pays pays more attention um, by me not doing that, having so, so uh, these smooth transitions into the next track. You know, I think that tends to make people just kind of like off go get a beer talk to their friend and just kind of dance but this is kind of more of a performance and they're watching you know um i mentioned uh, earlier today like hawks and cloak and uh one of tricks they have like these shows where you, uh, i think one of tricks did the show where you just sit down and you're watching him make these weird sounds because i think over time he found that people are not going to stand there and like there's nothing to really move to consistently people will i will like he does i like because i like his music but like I mean, I think uh, people actually sitting down and looking at it as a performance is definitely like an inspiration. Like, I want to do something more like that. Or Hawks and Cloak, like, you're not really waiting for a, a crazy group to come in. You're just kind of like watching the, it's, it's like sound art, you know? You, you recently said that this album will be the last as Lee Bannon. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely going to continue to do music under probably a different moniker, primarily because of, you know, when you put like Lee Bannon into uh, like a Pandora or a Spotify, it's like, or Pandora is a good example because they'll start playing Little B because I worked with like the Jacka and the Bay or whatever. They'll start playing Joey Badass and they'll play a drum and bass track. It's like, it's like too scattered. It's so scattered that it's not even, for me personally, it's not entertaining and I can't, it's not, I can't enjoy it because it's, um, and this might maybe this comes down to genres like you want to listen to something that's like if you want to listen to techno you want to listen to techno at that time you don't want to listen to like a crazy hip-hop track that just might come on out of the blue you know so I think um, I think I've reached a point where like um, ending that or like letting that sleep for a while um, um, and doing something that could be bunched in with like-minded artists um, would make more sense you know for the listener and me creatively, I guess. It basically, I have to do something bigger than the shadow that's being cast over me, which is hip hop or, or what I did in hip hop. I have to do something that's so profound that it'll cast a new shadow that has nothing to do with that. So I just have to do that. And there's two ways of doing it. You could do it like Boards of Canada and just keep making music and then eventually you become this solid music and you keep coming, you just be, get right here, you know. Um, like say I did 11, patterns of excels and alternate endings like you know eventually it's just going to become a thing like and you become right there or you could just do that one kind of 
big thing that over that casts a shadow over what you know what's causing the problem or whatever. Well, I look forward to that next incarnation, that next shadow, next whatever it is collaboration. And um, thanks very much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks very much for coming down. Uh, Pattern of XL is out now on Ninja Tune, and uh, you should definitely check it out. <laughs> We switch our attention now to just a few of the new releases coming out on the Ninja Tune family of labels, starting with a new track from The Invisible called Easy Now, which was recorded as part of the sessions for their forthcoming album. The Invisible with Easy Now from their new album, which also has contributions from Floating Points, and The Invisible are also playing with him as part of the Floating Points live band. Up next, it's Roots Maneuver with One Thing, and that's the second track to come from his new album Bleeds, which is on Big Dada. One thing leads to the next thing, leads to the next thing, leads to the next thing. A simple thing, money. Look at him, money. One thing leads to the next thing, leads to the next thing, leads to the next thing. 
comes to my head like it came to a head. Oh, crack it off. Look at these eggs. Post and scrambled. My preamble. Ambles over. No Land Rover. So what the heck are you doing in Surrey? You don't look new, but you seem to hate money, but... How could we hate the queen when the social bill seems so obscene and it helped to create the scene that put the people where the people be here and it's also openly here got the taste for the finest e here one thing leads to the next thing leads to the next thing leads to the next thing that was roots maneuver with one thing on big data next it's ramer back with another track and this is from the rainbow ep called Love Song. Romare with Love Song, which is out on Ninja Tune. Now we have a track from Wiley, which is called Step 2001, which is produced by none other than Zombie and is out on Big Daddy. The last of many, the last on your sort who came from a penny The last one to kill the game with a hit The first one to spray the mic when I'm ready If it ain't about right, I gotta turn left You're the king of what I'm the last one left Even if it went another 20 years The legacy I've left may as well put an end on my chest I'm rolling around like a spirit that's free 20 years on to the lyrical G Refuse to work for them in MOP Cause I know the path to the wicked is beat Step up acting uncivil and see If I don't show you the uncivil in me But I've got a future, clear blue sea you got your face in your book I got my book in your face I got a place for the eights and the hooks And the sixteens, thirty-two, sixty-four Spray sixty and I spray sixty more I'm in MySpace chilling on Ustream vlogging Man are on Twitter chat shit about Robin Click Google Chrome, YouTube Now I'm not into fresh R&B and hip-hop like Robin That was Wiley with Step 2001 Produced by Zombie And that's on Big Dada Finally we come to the latest release from Helena Half And this track is called Trist Which is on the Workdisc label
That was Helena Half with Trist on WorkDisc. And that's it for the Ninja Tune podcast. My thanks once again to Lee Bannon for the interview and Luke Wren for help with production. Thanks for listening and we'll be back with another edition soon. <laughs>